for choosing the podcast of LifePoint Church in Ozark, Missouri. LifePoint is a body of believers led by God's Spirit to engage in His redemptive mission in the world. We love Jesus and desire to serve Him by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. We hope that this message will be a blessing and an encouragement for your life. If you would like more information about LifePoint Church, please visit us on the web at www.lifepointozark.com. We are in a series entitled Christian Essentials, and we're looking at three essentials for the Christian life from what I've called three more obscure books in the New Testament. Now, I feel like I have to qualify that statement because um, by obscure, I don't mean that they're less important in some way. But what I mean by that is they're three small books that you don't often hear referred to. And uh, my guess is that many Christians, even though it would take less than five minutes to do each one, uh, have probably never uh, read these books and understood what they were about or, or what uh, God's Word was teaching us through them. And so as I was planning this series, uh, I, I wanted to teach these books, and uh, God just began to, to, to give me a, a burden for um, these essentials of the Christian life. It's, it's good for us to take some time in the summer to just kind of recalibrate in some ways. And so as we look through these essentials, uh, I hope that it will help you just to to, to assess and evaluate your own walk with the Lord and, and to take some stock, if you will, about where you are with Jesus and what He wants to do in your heart and in your life. And so last week we began the series with 2 John and in that first sermon we talked about Christian fellowship and we talked about how Christian fellowship provides spiritual strength for us to walk in truth and love. And, and the, the value of fellowship for our life. I mean, fellowship is essential for the Christian life. And God designed it that way. He didn't call us to be loners in the spiritual sense, but to engage in fellowship. And so today we're going to talk about another topic, faithfulness in the Christian life. And we're going to look at 3 John. And we're going to see how John encourages faithfulness in a man's life by the name of Gaius and the other believers that are in the church there. Let's do this. Let's go to 3 John. Let me read the text for us. It's only 15 verses. And so I'm going to read the entirety of the book. And then we'll come back up to the sermon. Verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. 
So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, wants to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. John writes 3 John in much the same way that he wrote 2 John. It is intended to be a cover letter for his main letter to the church, 1 John. And so he wrote 2 John to the church body to encourage their Christian fellowship. He writes 3 John to a specific individual in the church, Gaius, because he wants to encourage his faithfulness in the gospel and what he's doing. And so as he writes to him, he, he recognizes that Gaius was a, a faithful leader among the church. And John wants to continue, wants him to continue what he's doing in the church. Let me kind of give you the, the broad stroke situation of what's taking place here. In that day and time, traveling ministers would travel from town to town or city to city and church to church. And they would spend a few days or maybe a few weeks with the church ministering either teaching or preaching, and often these men would be sent from the apostles themselves because if the, the apostles couldn't spend extended time there, they would send some of their delegates to help the church get organized in its polity or help the church uh, understand a clear doctrine as we see through all of Paul's letters uh, and, and understand that doctrine better. And so each of these traveling preachers held a specific gift that they would exercise in the church. But just because they were known by someone doesn't mean they were known by that specific church. And so they would carry letters of recommendation from the apostles. They would carry letters of recommendation from other churches. And those letters validated their ministry in the churches in which they went. They didn't have big websites you know, with uh, personal platforms on them where they could go and read all the wonderful news press that this platform speaker had put about their life. They didn't have the LinkedIn profiles to know what they should be, you know, good at or not. They didn't have Facebook to find out all the nitty-gritty about, you know, their personal life. So they had to have some way of validating these preachers and ministers as they traveled. And it was by this letter. And so there have been preachers come through town and Gaius has been very faithful to welcome them. He tells us that he's not only welcomed them, but he's cared for them in their time with the church. And he's been generous in giving them an offering to pay for their needs as they traveled on. But of course, we see diatrophies as well. There were some in the church who weren't as, shall we say, generous, who weren't as warm and welcoming. And so we see Diotrephes who was countering Gaius's work and was trying to control what was taking place in the church. 
And so John says to Gaius, he says, look, do not imitate evil. Imitate good. Because those who do good have seen God. Those who have not, or do not do good have not seen God. He's encouraging Gaius to continue to be faithful in the work of the Lord, not only in his personal life, but also among the church, and to build and strengthen the testimony and the witness of the church themselves. You know, competing agendas have always created problems and been present in the church. And they've created divisions. And, and, and if you can take a, an idea of what's taking place in this church here in 3 John and even make a personal application from it, you can understand that there are many kinds of hard situations in life that cause us to ask questions such as, what do I do in this situation? Or if we know how to do, or we know what God's Word says about what we should do, we ask the question, then how should I go about it? How do I live out what I, I know is God's will, but I don't know how to do that? I mean, these are natural and normal to our life. This life is fraught with hardship often, is it not? And I think what John gives us in 3 John is an encouragement and a help to remain faithful in our Christian walk. What I want you to understand today is this, and this is really just the, the big idea I want you to walk away with, is simply that Christian faithfulness aligns all of our lives so that we can live all out for God's glory. Christian faithfulness and the way that we walk with God aligns all of our life with the truth of God's Word so that we can live all out for God's glory in our life. Now, when we begin to talk about faithfulness, the question probably doesn't arise because I think most of us have an idea that's pretty accurate of what is faithfulness. But if I ask you what is faithfulness, how would you respond? You would likely maybe talk about a good friend that had been faithful to you. And, and loyal to you, very likely at a hard time or a hard season of life when you had other people who you thought were friends that disappeared from you, right? You would go, they were not faithful, this person was faithful. It's always plural here, usually singular here, right? I mean, that's the way it feels anyway. You see, uh, any understanding of faithfulness always really centers on being loyal to something. And what that loyalty brings about. Well, the best way to understand faithfulness, I think, for us, uh, is to see this illustration, this contrast that John draws for us between the life of Gaius and the life of Diotrephes. Look at just briefly what he says about Gaius, beginning really in verse 2, but all the way through verse 8. And, and, and what he says, not only about who he is, but about what he's doing. Here's what we know of him from these verses. We know that he was a leader in the church. We know that he held a strong commitment to God's truth because it was evidenced by the way he lived his life. But it was also evidenced for John because this is what he says in verse 3. He says, I am so thrilled that the evidence, or excuse me, the testimony of the other brothers about you says what I have come to know is true about you, that your life aligns with the word of God. And so John knew Gaius, and he knew that he lived faithfully in obedience to God's word, 
But still, it brought great joy to him when others came and reinforced the testimony about Gaius that John already knew. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear this kind of testimony. Gaius demonstrated his faithfulness in practical ways of ministry. He was not just a leader in the church, but he was a lead example in the church. Because when these ministers would come, he didn't know them any better than anyone else in the church did. But when they had the letter of recommendation, which was the recognized means for them to recognize these preachers, he would receive them, and not just as a stranger, be careful, but we'll tolerate you, but rather what? As a brother. That's what he says. You've welcomed them as brothers. And why were they brothers? Not because they were blood kin. Not because they had any relationship to one another in this world. But simply for one reason. Because they were brothers in Christ. And because of their brotherhood in Christ, there was a tight, strong relationship between them immediately. Let me tell you something, friends. If you want the church have an impact in your life, you will move your life to this kind of faithfulness among the church. And you will assign to other people, not something that they're not worthy of, we're all unworthy of this kind of trust and loyalty. Not just a trust or loyalty that you can see, you don't need to be unwise about it. But in the church, we need to begin to love people the way God loves people because they're brothers and sisters in Christ and not just because they've proven something to us over time. We need to begin to welcome people and love people with the love that Christ has for them and believe for them what God's Word has said about them and stop letting all the weaknesses that we will eventually or ultimately see come out in their life ruin it for us. When we do that, we're measuring relationships on an earthly value, an earthly standard. And that will always contradict a gospel-centered, heavenly, eternal brotherhood and sisterhood in the family of God. That's not easy to do, I know. But it is something we're called to do. And it's something that Gaius was very good at doing. He welcomed them, he cared for them, and he blessed them generously. And John rejoices at this, that the testimonies of what people were saying about him aligned, not just with what he knew about him, but more importantly, aligned with what God's Word said. Man, that's just, I'm going to be honest, being a pastor, for the years that I've been a pastor, even in youth ministry and and in the pastorate, There are a few things as encouraging as getting a testimony about someone who's walking in the truth of God's Word. It just thrills your heart. And that's what John is talking about here that's taking place with Gaius in his life. He lived his life in alignment with the truth of God's Word. Here's some of the phrases that he uses. He says in verse uh, 5, he says, It's a faithful thing you do in all of your efforts. Man, that's a blessing to have your actions described in this way. You've been faithful to God in what you do. He also uses this phrase a little later on that, that he says these, uh, that you show love before the church by the living out of your obedience. 
And it's not so much that they're in front of the church regularly, but rather it's just simply saying the way you live your life, you demonstrate a love to the church because of the way you live aligned with God's truth in your life. And so he's talking about how just the very presence of his life among the congregation is an encouragement to strengthen the congregation because he lives faithfully and according to God's commands. And so we see this, friends, that faithfulness in the Christian life begins and means that it is a life aligned by obedience with the truth of God's word. Of all the things he said, when he lands his idea about Gaius, he says, your faithfulness is known because your life is lived aligned with the truth of God's word. Now, there's another person he points out, and this is uh, not someone we want to spend a lot of time on. Quite frankly, you read much about Diotrephes, you get pretty depressed. This was... uh, not a bad dude in the good sense, you know, if I can say that. It was a bad, like a bad bad, not a good bad. But Diotrephes provides a stark contrast to faithfulness. Look what he says about Diotrephes just in a couple of verses. He was a proud man because it says this, he likes to put himself first. And he's not only proud, but he's arrogant because he doesn't acknowledge our authority, he says. Not only that, but Diotrephes enjoys slandering other believers. The English Standard Version that I'm reading from says that he talks wicked nonsense about fellow believers in the church and about others. But the New International Version, if you were to read it, it says this, he gossips maliciously. Ouch. You know, you're not just a gossip. You're a malicious gossip. That hurts, doesn't it? Now, let me just clarify for you. Did you know that gossip does not have to be malicious gossip for it still to be sin? Benign gossip is still sin. That hurts too. But it's true. Malicious gossip, though. Malicious gossip reveals from the beginning the intent of the heart. Diotrephes was bad because he denied hospitality to fellow Christians. John says he refuses to welcome the brothers. And not only that, but, but he stopped the people in the church who wanted to welcome them. He stopped them from welcoming the brothers who were traveling in. And if they went ahead and did it anyway, he would put them out of the church. And so what he was doing is he was domineering over people. Diotrephes was a church bully. That's what he was. We don't know if he was a leader in the church or not, but he at the very least had exerted himself in a very way so that he could dominate over people and he could make them think something about him to exercise this kind of influence in the church. And so Diotrephes showed that he was evil by failing to do good to other believers. And he lived in unfaithfulness because his life was not aligned with the truth of God's word. And so where faithfulness means that life is aligned with the truth of God's word, unfaithfulness means that life does not align with the truth of God's word. You say, man, you're pounding it and this is like elementary math and and English. 
Well, if you've been in first service, I needed some elementary English help. I am. Let me tell you why. Because we measure faithfulness by everything other than God's word so often. We put our standards on it. And often those standards are conditioned or colored by the relationships that we have with people. And we say to them, it's okay, I know you didn't mean it. It wasn't malicious gossip. At least you weren't like Diotrephes. I mean, you, you talk bad about people, but I know you don't intend any bad. Uh-uh. And, and so we measure faithfulness by standards that the Scripture does not allow for us to do. And the point I'm wanting to make in what is faithfulness is simple. It's determined by the truth of God's Word. That's the point that John is going to make. What I want you to see today is that Christian faithfulness aligns all of life with the truth of God's Word so that we can live all out for God's glory. And I'm going to ask you at the end of the time, is your whole life aligned with the truth of God's Word? Because if it's not, you, you're not free to live all out for God. You've got to manage your life. You've got to manage it here among the people. Make sure that you're tracking with your deceptions and your lies because one lie requires another to cover it up. And you've got to remember everyone and when you told it and who you told it to and how you told it so you can retrace that path if you're going to live in that deception. You've got to do the same thing out in the world. And while they may not care as much about it, it is equally valuable and you care about it because you want those people to love you for something that you know is not even true of you. It's a lot easier, friends, to tell the truth even when it means you have to say, I'm a sinner, but by the grace of God, He saved me. That's where I want you to be today. To live, to walk, and Christian faithfulness. And so I'm laboring to cultivate and to encourage faithfulness in the life of every Christian. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I hope that through this message, Jesus will become so hopeful to you, so powerful to you, that Christian faithfulness would look more glorious and helpful for you than any help that the world might offer to you. Let's look at five characteristics that John presents to us. We've already seen them a little bit, but I want to articulate them and lay them down. First of all, Christian faithfulness orients all of life to God's Word. Christian faithfulness orients all of life to God's Word. In 15 verses, there is one word that John uses six times. If you were to build a word cloud of 3 John, the word truth is going to be most prominent and most dominant as the word in that word cloud. Why? Because it is the anchor, it is the base upon which John builds the idea that he is presenting to Gaius here. If you know anything about 1 John, you know that that book is centered in talking about fellowship with God and how we should love one another and how we should walk in truth. And then 2 John, he really just introduces this idea to the church when he talks about fellowship, that the fellowship of the saints is anchored in truth and love. Not one or the other, but if you have anyone without the other, it's not in fact, what you claim it to be, they either come together or you don't get either. 
And so what he's saying to Gaius about what he wants to do or what he wants to see Gaius do in his life is he's encouraging him to walk in truth. He uses the word six times, and here's some of the ways that he uses it. First of all, he affirms that he loves Gaius in the truth. That, that, that their whole bond is not just because they found commonalities of personality or they found affinities of likes and dislikes, but rather he says, I love you because we're walking together in the truth. And that is a deeper and a stronger bond than we could ever build in and of ourselves. He rejoices as the greatest joy of his life, of the testimony of what the others have said about Gaius. He says, I knew this was true of you, but to know it's true of you when I'm not there gives me joy as if I am with you. And how I love that. He says this, that truth is the purpose for which he and the fellow laborers like Gaius and others in the church are working. That this truth in God's word is the very reason that we are here. That we are sharing it with the whole world and we should continue that work. You see, John is not commending Gaius so he can elevate him and the church will follow him. But rather he is commending him because everything he does in his life among the church does not point to him but points to God. Points to God. He's not saying Gaius is great. But what he is saying is he's saying the life that he lives is great because God is great. And that's the message that he's saying. Truth becomes the unifying center of John's letter and of Gaius's life. And in such, it becomes the center of Christian faithfulness. You see, Christian faithfulness begins with orienting our lives in obedience with the truth of God's word. That's where Christian faithfulness begins. We talk a lot about being centered, not only in our church, but really I hear it a lot on TV and on the radio and in different scenarios in the world. Are you centered? What's centering you? And, and I'm like, well, you know, sometimes I, well, I don't need to go there. I might offend someone by making fun of something I've heard. <clears throat> we talk about being gospel-centered. We talk about being Jesus-centered, being God-centered. We talk about being Bible-centered. And all of those are good things. Quite frankly, all of them in their right way mean the same thing. And, 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 and we talk about it to give emphasis on it. But only, friends, and the reason we do that is because only the truth of God's Word can center our lives in faithfulness. Let me argue with you a little bit. The Spirit of God is never going to center your life absent of the Word of God. Because the Spirit of God, absent of the Word of God, has nothing to work with. And I'm not arguing this as a point of doctrine. I'm just simply extrapolating what the Bible has said in, in the Gospel of John. That the very work of the Spirit is to come and work out the Lord Jesus Christ through the Word of God in you. So if the Spirit is not strong enough in you, put more Word in you and give Him more work to be done there. Because a lot of people claim to be walking with the Spirit today, but have little need for the Word. 
A lot of people don't want to waste their time and maybe feel guilty at times about not spending any time in God's Word, but they want to linger in the Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know what you're stirring up or conjuring up, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And if it is the Holy Spirit when you're doing that, He's pushing you back to the Word so that He can have the light to expose your darkness with. If you want the Spirit to blow you open, fill your life with the Word of God. I'm not anti-spirit. You just need to give him something to work with when he's there. Only the truth of God's word can center our life in faithfulness. So how do we know when we're centered on God? We know it through our actions. You see, friends, actions expose the orientation of our faithfulness. Here's one thing I find interesting about this, because we live in a day and time when, when it seems like many Christians are wanting to downplay the doing of God's will, the doing of God's word, and just talk about what we're supposed to be. But friends, you have nothing to talk about in your being if you won't consider your doing. They knew who these men were. How? Because of what they had done. That's how they knew who these men were, who these men were. I told you I'm having all kind of English problems today. Actions expose the content of personal character, the very center from which we live. And you see, faithfulness generally means just a, a loyalty to. And so what you consistently and regularly do in your life reveals what you are loyal to, what you are committed to, or what you are faithful to. And you may perform actions that are consistent with God's truth, but you will not remain faithful in those actions if God's truth does not fill your heart. As well, if your actions are not aligned with God's word, and if, if the actions that are aligned with God's word, let me say it this way, if those actions that are aligned with God's word conflict with that which fills your heart, you will not continue in those actions either. Because what you remain faithful to in action always reveals your personal character and what it is built upon. Let me try to explain this just a little bit. Oftentimes people will try to live in their own strength in the commands of God. They, they, they don't want to mess with a relationship with Jesus. They just want to do for God. And doing for God is not a form of Christian faithfulness. God is not impressed with your good deeds. As a matter of fact, he says your best deeds, cumulative over your entire life, if you could multiply them by a hundred million thousand gazillion, would still be filthy rags. And you would deserve the same damnation. God's not impressed by those. And if in your doing of those, you are trying to perform them for God, but your heart is not filling with God, you will be conflicting with yourself, warring within, if you will, because you are trying to live out something that is not truly in you. 
you've become a shell of a Christian. Now, on the other hand, I'll say this. If in your striving to live in those actions that you think are Christian, and in your striving to do them, they begin to conflict with your heart, you will always defer to the heart and not just to the outward actions. Why? Because of what they create in you. Because you you are not going to deny your heart for extended periods of time. You may do it for a time in order to try and appease someone or impress someone, but you will not do it over an extended period of time because it will not please your heart that's filling with something else. That's why actions reveal the character of a person and what that character is built upon. You see, friends, whatever fills your heart will ultimately determine your actions. And your actions will always align with that which is forming your character. That's why God doesn't come to us and tell us to change what we're doing. He comes to us and changes us from within. That's why He gives us a new heart. Yes, He gives us the command to obey, but He gives us a new heart. And it's a new heart that is tender and receptive to the things of God, not hard and opposed to the things of God. It's a heart that's not just formed by our ability, but it's inhabited by His Spirit and by His presence so that when He commands us to obey, we can gladly and humbly say yes and walk with Him by faith. That's how our actions align with our heart. You see, with Gaius, his actions demonstrated faithfulness to God because his heart was full of the truth of God's word. But Diotrephes' actions displayed a loyalty to himself because that's what he was full of. And a Christian seeks to discern that personal character aligns with God's truth by considering how those deeds being done affect the heart. You see, so when you're living, Christian, in your life and you're doing those deeds and you're obeying God's truth and His commands and you come to a place in your life where you realize, I don't really like doing this, God. God's not unimpressed or angry with you just about your not doing. What He wants to do is impact your being. He wants to speak to you. And what I'm saying to you now is use your actions to evaluate where your heart is. God doesn't want you just to conform outwardly. He wants you to be transformed inwardly. And when the actions of obedience conflict with the affections of your heart, it's because there's an idol. There's a false God that's ruling in that area of your heart. There's a place where darkness remains. And God wants to shine the light on it so you can repent, so you can turn away from it, and so you can walk in obedience and have the peace and the joy that only He can bring. That's what God wants for you. That's why God is bringing the conviction of Holy Spirit upon you, not to keep you down, but to bring you up. Christian faithfulness orients all of life to the truth of God's Word, beginning with our actions that display the gospel in our heart. The second characteristic I want you to see today 
is that Christian faithfulness is displayed through distinctive good deeds. What did John say to Gaius? He says this, do not imitate evil, imitate what? Good. Imitate good. Our good deeds are the first way that we know we are walking in faithfulness. Not the only way, not even the deepest way, but they are the first way. Christian good deeds provide a testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus by how we serve one another and even how we welcome strangers. You see, doing God's will through good deeds that glorify God, that's a Christian's highest good on earth. Doing the will of God. Why? Because it represents what God is doing in us. A changed heart, a changed life, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it represents us living that out. It is the highest good of Christians on the face of the earth to do the will of God. Because we show that He's in us. And we show how good and glorious He is to all others. In the midst of that. Good deeds provide this powerful expression of Christian faithfulness. When Christians do good deeds, listen to what the scriptures tell us that actually takes place in the doing of good deeds that are motivated by a heart full of God's truth. First of all, we show that the gospel motivates a unique love among God's family. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Comma. But especially... To the brothers, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, friends, our fellowship in the church is a witness of God's glory in the world. It does matter how we minister to one another. It matters how we let others linger in their sin, how we let them linger in their heartache, how we let them linger in their pain and hurt with absolutely no response at all. Because the way that we live in fellowship in the church shows the world that the gospel motivates a greater glory for us to serve one another. It also does this, that when Christians do good to one another, it grows a gospel-motivated generosity instead of just a consideration for return on investment. If you want to find a way that the church can most baffle the world with worldly goods, look at your money. Because the way that the Bible instructs us to manage our money, what we would call stewardship, it baffles the world. It doesn't make any sense. Because when you are generous and you give and you give and you give, it's not a good return on investment. Right? And the world says, well, you're going to need to get 8 or 9% on that. I mean, I think you can do it. Let's push for it. But 2% will be acceptable. I thought you said 8 or 9 right? It doesn't make any sense to them, but it does grow a gospel-motivated generosity instead of just a return on investment. And listen, if you want to be generous in your life, you better not just wait until isolated instances come up because generous people aren't just waiting for something to fall out of the sky and make them generous. They are day in and day out exercising their gifting, looking for ways to give so that they can grow their generosity. And if you're not being generous every day, you're not going to be generous when the big day arrives. That's how generosity has grown. It doesn't just happen all of a sudden. But the scriptures tell us 
that our generosity sets us apart. They are to do good works, Paul tells Timothy, to instruct the church. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. When Christians do good deeds, it glorifies God by participating in sacrifice that actually represent God in the world. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And listen to this one. When Christians do good deeds, they provide a strong witness against the slanderous talk of the world. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You see, Christians don't do good just to confront the ignorance of accusations from the world. But the good deeds that we are regularly about doing should provide strong evidence against foolish accusations against us. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 16. He says, let your light shine among others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter picks this up in 1 Peter 2, 12. And he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's what Gaius was doing. He wasn't living out his good deeds so people would look at him and go, dude's a great dude. He's a great guy. But he was living out his good deeds in such a way that God could be glorified. And that God would receive the glory for his deed. God receives glory through our good deeds because we give a faithful testimony that Jesus is the reason that we do what we do. It's just not benign or random good deeds that we go about doing. But they are deeds accompanied by a faithful testimony. And you may not have the opportunity to speak that faithful testimony in every situation, but the overall trajectory of your life declares verbally a praise, a glory to God through a faithful testimony. That's what makes good deeds distinctive to Christians, is that we give the glory and praise to Christ and not to ourselves. So good deeds show that God's nature is good. You ever thought that The way you do good deeds in the world is the way some people see God. If they look at you, is he good? Is he kind? Why does God need to be kind? Well, Scripture tells us that the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance. Is he loving? Is he merciful? Is he wise? You see, sometimes the best testimony we can give is when everybody else is swimming down current. Is to trust God that he's going to make us strong enough to swim against the current. Because his wisdom explicitly tells us how and what we should be doing. See, God remains faithful to his word in our life when we live faithfully by his word. And when we share faithfully from his word. That's what we need to be remembering, friends. The third characteristic of Christian faithfulness is that it works through gospel relationships. John doesn't only say, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. But he says what? Imitate. And if you're going to imitate something, there's got to be a model that you adopt to imitate. You see, good deeds that serve God's mission are never a lone ranger endeavor. God's mission is always served by gospel-formed 
partnerships. And these partnerships uh, create the activity of what we would call disciple-making. And disciple-making is the heart of everything that we are to do in the church because it's the very heart of our mission. Therefore, everything we do should set disciple-making as our aim. Here's what I'm getting at, friends. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. You may not be able to stand people. But that doesn't justify a Lone Ranger Christianity. And, and what God wants you to do is to understand that, that even in your personal life, yes, personally you ought to be in the Word of God. Personally you ought to be relating to Him in prayer. And personally you ought to be evangelizing and telling other people through a faithful witness of what Christ has done for you, He can do for them. And, and all of these personal disciplines that we talk about. But hear me. Every, and, and I, let me add that to that just so you don't think I'm leaving it off the list. Personal repentance. Every personal discipline of your spiritual life has a communal expression that should run parallel with it. There's not one part of your spiritual walk with Christ that you shouldn't be faithful in personally and be flanked by in community, if I can use that military term. Why? Because one strengthens the other, encourages each other. That's what he's saying through these gospel relationships. And so let me ask you this, that, that, that this model and imitation relationship called disciple making, well, what gospel relationships are helping you live in Christian faithfulness? What's spurring you on to more good deeds? You see, we are most prone to sin. We are most prone to straying from God and even to full out apostasy when we isolate ourselves. The loneliest sinner in the world is the one who is too proud to seek help from other Christians. The saddest sinner in the world, and this is my label. You may agree, you may not agree, that's okay. The saddest sinner in the world is who goes to someone and doesn't know, or who goes to someone who doesn't know the wisdom of God to counsel them in or to pray for them. That's sad because they'll take the counsel of an ungodly person and justify their own situation or scenario with it. The greatest hope comes when we seek and we find God's help through the right people who model for us the right. Good. That's what Paul says when he says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. He's taking a secular phrase, secular philosophy, and he's saying there's spiritual truth in this as well. When people do not serve the righteous good set forth in God's truth, you should not align yourselves with them in a relationship that influences you as such. Gospel relationships that fuel good deeds serve God's mission. And so when you think about how you affect others in this third characteristic, either encouraging them or being a discouragement to them in the case of Diotrephes, which I hope, I hope most of us are not identifying with Diotrephes today. That's my prayer. Or at least desiring for a life similar to what Gaius has lived that we might bring honor to God. But when we consider how we influence others, we can't move on without looking at our attitudes. And you see, Christian faithfulness guards against bad attitudes. It guards against bad attitudes. One of Diotrephes' biggest evils was simply his bad attitude. 
He was full of himself and he had no room for others. That's what it said. Man, let me tell you something. Bloated egos are quick to create bad attitudes. You better guard yourself and humble yourself because if your ego is being bloated and and if you have the propensity to a large ego, you need to understand it will quickly create bad attitudes. Let me tell you how. When pride tells you that you are worthy, when pride tells you that you do deserve the credit and everyone else or uh, and everyone else in the world does not agree. Let, let me tell you what it'll do to you. It will turn you green with envy and it'll make you into your own little mental hulk monster. Your rage will know no end because you are you deserve it. You've done good and people don't see it. Right? And if you let yourself sit in that, it will create in something new that you won't be able to calculate the damage and destruction you do upon other people. You may not think of bad attitudes as evil, but any denial of or any attempt to steal glory from God is always wicked evil. But I don't want to leave out those of you who don't have a bloated ego. Because bruised egos can create bad attitudes as well. You experience failure in your life. Hardship comes upon you. Things are more difficult for you than it seems like they are for anybody else. Disappointment. Unexpected trouble. I mean, you know, we're just describing one massive pity party here, you know. And, and that ego gets a little bruised in the midst of that. And, it, and it, 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 it discourages us. And when we get discouraged, it threatens to create a bad attitude. Not just about God or, or even about walking with God. Usually we're not that honest with ourselves. We want to cast it on somebody else first. It usually gets cast on another individual in the church or in community with us. But here's what happens. You cover your hurt with a smile. And you use nice words when you're around the people. People that you know you should be using nice words around. And, and you do kind deeds, but, but even under the surface, you're doing them for a vile manipulation. I hope you see how good this is really doing for you. That, that I would serve you in this way. I hope you recognize how much good I'm doing for you. And that's what's going on in this bad attitude, that, that you're, you're manipulative in the way you do it. But, but here's what happens, friend. Every time you are reminded that the ring of glory and power is not yours, you lash out in murderous hatred like Smeagol on Lord of the Rings. It's venomous. It's threatening, it's damaging, but it is as accurate of the state of your heart as you can imagine. That's how bruised egos create bad attitudes. And bruised egos that wallow in unresolved hurt and pain are just as dangerous to do evil as bloated egos. They're just often harder to discern. You will never be faithful to that which you have a bad attitude towards. Imagine if Gaius had allowed Diotrephes to discourage him. I'm done with this. I'm finished with this. And allowed it just to set up in him. You know, sometimes it is wisest to ignore and leave people alone who are committing this kind of evil for the time being. Now, I I confess to you, I'm not wired this way. You know, people talk about having the fight or flight syndrome. I have that syndrome minus the flight component. There's no turning your back. 
And if people know me, I'm just aggressive and I'm hyper type A. And I don't mean anything by it. That's just the way I deal with things. And so I have to be very careful in this. But my experience in pastoring has taught me this lesson that I believe John is making clear here when he says, don't mess with Diotrephes, Gaius. I'll deal with him when I get there. He's not saying the evil that Diotrephes is doing doesn't need to be dealt with. He's saying, let somebody else deal with it. For now, you take care of Gaius and you remain faithful. Because God will bring the right time to reveal and to confront them in their wickedness. Just make sure that the fingerlings of infection and venomousness don't get into you and infect your attitude and the way you feel about what God is doing. You see, Christian faithfulness never allows the maligned ego of others to deter their own work in good deeds. First, First Thessalonians tells us, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If you grow weary by doing good, that's a good thing. Be exhausted because you've served God faithfully. But do not grow weary in the fact that you're doing good for God. Because there's never a time when God can't use us by doing good. Don't let the fingerlings of bad attitudes infect you. Rather, Christians live by faith to trust and reflect Jesus' attitude. You say, well, what was his attitude? The Bible tells us two distinct times what his attitude was. In Philippians 2, Paul writes that even though he was God, he didn't consider being God, hello, Something to give him a get-out-of-suffering-free card. But rather, he humbled himself and became obedient as a man and then to the point of death. Why? Because he trusted the Father. And the Father made good on his promise. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the shame and the condemnation, the persecution, and the crucifixion of the cross. And friends, if that joy that God made good in Jesus' life was sufficient for what He endured, putting Jesus before us will be sufficient every time for us. Every time. Put Jesus before you. Crush that attitude. By faith, regard what God wants for you because Christian faithfulness guards against bad attitudes so that we can obey God's truth by faith. By faith. The fifth characteristic. If you talk about attitudes, we've begun to move inward. Let's just go all the way if we're going to finish it, okay? We really need to because this is where John begins it. But Christian faithfulness produces increasing and deepening affections for God. We can't complete our study of 3 John without looking at verse 4. Here's what John writes. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You see, Christian, we labor for faithfulness because it increases, it sweetens, and it deepens our affections for Christ. This verse uh, was most common to me because I would hear my parents quote it in lieu of their desires for my heart and for my life. 
Now, that's not exactly what John's talking about. He's talking about children in light of the church, the spiritual children that he's given birth to, if you will, by starting a church and by seeing that church grow. But the application is very appropriate for him to say, or or for my parents to have have said, uh, it is great joy, joy that is incomparable and uncomparable in every way to, to think that my children would walk in the truth of God's word. It gives us a moment to pause and to ask, parents, is is walking in the truth of God's word your highest aim for your children? No matter where it leads them, no matter what it costs of them, no matter what it means for them. And let me say this, if it's not the highest glory for your life, it will never be the highest joy for your children's life. Christ becomes more hopeful, more powerful, and more glorious when we live aligned with the truth of God's word in Christian faithfulness. And coming full circle from where we began today, we realize this, that when we live in obedience to the truth of God's word, here's the distinctive of Christian faithfulness. It strengthens us in the depths of our being. It transforms us through joy, not just vain happiness, but joy, not just through pleasures that are temporary, but pleasures forevermore that are eternal. Through love that's not just a surfacey relationship, but rather is a deep, abiding, anchoring acceptance and worth and dignity and value because God has said, I love you. This, friends, is a characteristic of Christian faithfulness. And the reason we obey is because in our obedience, God does in us what we cannot find in any other activity of the world. He joys us in His rejoicing over us and in His care for us. I know some are thinking, Pastor, you don't know how far away I've gotten from God. Let me say this. You've trained yourself to look for temporal joy and temporal pleasures in the temporal activities of this world. And the Bible affirms that we can retrain our lives to learn to love the eternal pleasures of God. My question for you today is simply this. Is that what you want? Do you want to keep chasing temporal pleasures, temporal joys, things that don't last? Or do you want to live in a lasting love, a lasting joy, a joy that cannot be taken away no matter what the situation or circumstance, a love that says you are accepted and you are welcomed and you are loved regardless of what anything or anyone else says about you? That's what the gospel comes to us today. Listen, friends, only a person who desires faithfulness and godliness to consume and define their life will fully submit to Jesus. And only a great all-consuming love will lead that person to humble themselves and submit and to sacrifice in this way. You see, I know that preaching a sermon on faithfulness can be very difficult but because everyone in the room is immediately beginning to, to ask themselves, am I faithful? And that's good. I want you to do that. 
But here's what I don't want to happen. You look at one act of faithfulness for every ten acts of unfaithfulness. Because Satan is alive and well and he wants to attack you, he wants to deceive you, and he wants to accuse you. Here's what I want to say to you today. Stop looking at your successes and look at the promise and the provision of God for your life. Faithfulness in the Christian life is not the product of perfect performance. It is the fruit of a full submission and trust in Jesus Christ. What I'm inviting you into today is what the scripture has invited us into. It's not to perform for God. It's rather to humble ourselves and submit to God. Will you do that? As the worship team returns, I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray for us. For some of you, I want to pray this morning that God would make faithfulness a value in your life. Because it's just not a high priority on your scale. For others, I want to pray for you because right now there's a war going on in your heart. You see, I can talk about Christian faithfulness all day long, but I can't make the explicit, acute application that the Spirit of God is making in each of your hearts and lives right now. He's identifying a name, a place, a situation, a person, a relationship, maybe a word that was spoken that that you know was not aligned with the will of God. And, and what the Spirit of God is doing right now is He's moving into your life and He's shining light on the dark areas. And He's saying, if you'll walk out of that, if you'll humble yourself, stop trusting your own ability and stop trusting the promises of evil, of sin, of the world. And if you'll follow Christ, I'll provide for you greater pleasures than you'll ever find there. And for some of you, he's shining the light, not just within you, but he's shining the light to say, this is how I want you to walk with me. And he's calling you forward in obedience. And, 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 and he's, he's showing you specifically maybe a ministry that he wants you to engage in or a step of faithfulness that he wants you to take. And he's saying, look, I'm not just talking about sin, but I am talking about righteousness and leading you in the way in everlasting. Because when God calls us out of sin, he doesn't just leave us to wonder what we should do next but rather he leads us in faithfulness of righteousness and holiness so I'm asking you today where in your life is God calling you to a deeper holiness another step of obedience you need to stop relegating your obedience and excusing your disobedience and begin to humble yourself and say God, kill this idol in me. Kill this imperfection in me. And strengthen me to walk in holiness and in righteousness and obedience. I'm going to ask the elders to come to the front. There will be an elder here. And I'm going to ask you as we sing. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to sing. I'm going to ask you to come today. In a show of humility, and submit what God is saying to your heart, to the ministry of the elders of this church, and let us pray for you. We are not magic men. We're not magic people. But if you would come today and let us pray for you, I'm going to ask you to let us do that. I'm going to ask you to raise the value and priority of Christian faithfulness in your life from where it's convenient where God wants it to be in your life. Would you do that today? Let me pray and then let's see. Father, help us today because there is plenty of unbelief 
in all of our hearts. But God, you're promising and you're calling to us and you will provide the strength and you will provide the power and the Spirit of God will lead us through the truth of God's Word as we follow you in humility and obedience. Give us the grace to do that even now. In Jesus' name.